I want to thank everybody for being here this morning. I want to thank you for having us here this morning. Uh, we're grateful to be here to see you. For many, of, for many of you, it's been about a year since we've seen you. may not be long enough for some of you to see me, but um, I am grateful to be here. And I hope today as we get to study together that, um, that you find something you can take with you that's profitable for you, something that's rooted in God's Word. I, I just wanted, before we get into the sermons this morning, to let you know we're going to be talking a little bit about marriage this morning. We'll be talking a little bit about parenting this evening and, and where the ideas came from or where my mind was at. I've been doing a lot of work uh, lately all across the kingdom, as I know some of you are involved in here and other evangelists are involved in other places of building leadership. And we understand where there is no leadership, the people perish. That's something we've seen all through time with God's people. And, and I know I may be preaching to the choir here in this congregation because y'all have generations of leadership. It's been passed on, and I know it's taught about and thought about in this congregation. But the more that I have got to participate in the process of, of helping congregations mature and to have leadership, the more I think about the need that there is for strong families in the kingdom because there is no leadership without strong homes. And so that's where my mind has been at in this process and, and in places of what do I need to be and my wife, what do we need to be as we serve in the kingdom as we're thinking about leadership and growth. And with that in mind, I'd like to study out of Psalms 127 today. This morning we'll look at the first two verses and we'll look at the last couple uh, this evening whenever we study together. But if you would, turn your Bibles or we'll be in the PowerPoint for your convenience in the King James, Psalms 127, starting in verse 1. It says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain, which build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh, but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he giveth his beloved sleep. I'm sure you're familiar with this passage, and I'm sure that something that's talked about, if you did premarital counseling or maybe at your wedding ceremony or something that, that you hear in sermons or talk about in your homes from time to time, the, the concept that is, is preached here by Solomon, and, and I've got to tell you, Solomon probably knows. Solomon probably knows what makes a strong home because to be honest, Solomon did a lot of things to shake up his home. Whenever he stepped outside of God's plans and God's formations for, for what should happen inside of marriage, we understand there were times that his heart was pulled away from God. And we see that in ways that we'll talk about a little bit more this afternoon. But he said, if you want to build a good, strong house, the Lord better be the builder of it. That has to be our goals and our foundation. I asked you the question this morning. Is the Lord the builder of your house? Now it, you could put a lot of work and a lot of time into building your marriage, a lot of things in pursuit of serving yourself or your spouse, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the Lord is behind that in sanctioning or, or the builder of that work of your marriage. He said you could stay up late, you could get up early, you could, you could worry about it all you want, but if God isn't behind building your marriage, then then it's empty. It was for nothing. So how do we go about letting the Lord build our house? There's a lot of things you could talk about. It's very worthwhile to talk about finding the right spouse, making sure that you're finding a mate in the appropriate way, and, and, the, and the, 
major repercussions or blessings that come from that. You could talk about the different roles that, that the husband and the wife has and, and all the scripturality and, and, and all of how that applies to one another. You could, just, you could talk about just treating one another nice, for goodness sake. That's a good, worthwhile topic when we're talking about let the Lord build the house. But what I want to focus on this morning, what I want to focus on this morning is the identity of your Christian marriage. Who are you as a couple what do you do in the kingdom? Because just as important as finding the right spouse is building the right life together in service for the kingdom, for the king. Ecclesiastes 4 and chapter 9, or excuse me, I'm sorry, I got two things up here throwing me off. I'll stick up here. Sorry about that. It didn't sound right when I read it, but what I want all of us to remember today, first and foremost, is that marriage was intended to be a blessing. There's a lot of people in the world who don't believe that today, you know? It's preached hard and heavy today that, that uh, it, is, it is antiquated, that it's a way for man to keep woman down, uh, that it shackles to everybody, that all it leads to is misery and, and problems and sorrows. But I want us to remember that marriage was created to be a blessing. In Genesis 2.18, whenever God saw the loneliness of Adam, he said in verse 18 there, it's not good that man should be alone. I'll make for him and help meet. And I believe this was supposed to be a mutually beneficial relationship. It wasn't just that, well, man's lonely, so I want to build someone to fill up all of his needs, but not hers. The concept of, of building man and building woman, even from the first chapter, as we read in verses, chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, look at all the blessings God was trying to do for man. He gave him a piece in, we're created in his image. He gave us a piece of, of, of soul, which is eternity, he put us. And then when he looks at the lonely, the lonely void in man's heart, he goes, I want fulfillment for them. I want a companion for this man. And I also for the woman there that they can walk through life and not, not just be alone, not be sad, have somebody to help them. You know, that's why you got married. For anyone who's got married, hurry, you're about to get married. You get married for all of those reasons, right? Because you find somebody who makes you happy. You find somebody that you can talk to, somebody that you admire, somebody that you like spending time with. And you think about, I think I, think I could spend a lot more time with these people. And you long for the day before you marry them whenever you don't have to say goodnight and walk back to your car that you can just spend all of your time together. And then we get married and, and we get focused on making memories and making homes and, and making careers work and preparing for retirement. All these things we think about that we gotta, we gotta do and that we love participating in the daily grind, making memories on vacations. And yes, that is part of the blessings of, of being married. That's what God wanted for you, to have a relationship that would be fulfilling. But we also need to remember it's about more than that. We're not our own. Whenever I say I do to Ellen, I'm not just hers and she's not just mine, but we should be the Lord's. And our marriage should be a blessing to us, but it should be a blessing to other people too. In Ecclesiastes 4 and 9, he says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. It's about more than the memories. It's about more than just the simple temporal blessings of this life. Here, I know this could apply to many different relationships where he says that two are better than one, but, you know, especially in our marital relationship, he said we could have a good reward, not because of all the memories we've made, but because of the labor, because of what we've worked in together. 
I believe that this is one of the hallmarks of a, a house that is built by God. It is a marriage whose trademark is that there are labor in the kingdom. And it may not always be easy. It may not always be what is best for our entertainment. It may not always be, be what is easy for our schedules and our times in the physical sense. But this labor is going to be the thing that makes it worthwhile in the long run. This labor is going to be the thing that makes it built upon the Lord. And it causes us not to just internalize and focus on ourselves. You notice how easy it is to do that as a young couple? I don't know, maybe as an old couple, older couple too. Experienced couple, not older. <clears throat> um, but it, it's easy to just get locked inside your own little world. And people tease about that, about how infatuated you are with one another and, and how nice you are to one another at the time. And people make jokes that I don't particularly like, but about how you still like one another right now, but the honeymoon phase will be over. And I think it's sad we're saying things like that. We should keep and nurture our affection for one another, but part of what people are getting at is that little under, underlying idea that it's easy to just lose ourselves in each other and forget about everybody else in the world. And the truth is, our, our marriage should be a blessing for us, but it needs to be a blessing for others too. Think about some very basic Christian principles. Principles that Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 5 when he said, You're the salt of the earth, but the salt has lost its savor. Wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out, to be trodden under the foot of men. You're the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hid, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but under a candlestick, and it gives light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Look at who our lives are supposed to be a blessing to, to everybody else around us. And we can't be a blessing to others when we internalize, when we're focused on our own life and our own well-being and our own time and our own schedules. And he said, you need to be somebody who is thinking about everyone else and being a blessing. You think about the blessing you are evangelistically, obviously, with people. Whenever you shine to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. You think about the blessing you're going to be inside of your marriage, not just as in individuals. We talk about this often, but in your marriage. Whenever you, I, this world's broken, folks. Relationships are broken. And I don't think that's a new thing, but maybe it's just more visible to me today. But relationships are broken out there. And you know people with broken homes and broken relationships and broken families. And you know what they need? They need people like you and me who have God's word and implement it in their life so they can look at it and go, there's hope for something better. So that whenever they're despairing in their life and maybe their marriage, they can look at something and go, you know what? Marriage isn't all awful. Maybe it can be great, not just good, not just tolerable, but great. People need that. They need that blessing from you. You know, you need to be a blessing to God. God's always a blessing to us. He gave His greatest blessing to us in Christ. Our marriage can facilitate the, the giving back in that blessing. Dedicating our marriage and our life to Him. You've got talents inside of your home. You're no longer just one person with one set of talents, but whenever you get married and you make that covenant between yourself and your spouse and your God, what you've done is you've consolidated where even if you thought you're one talent individual, you've just suddenly expanded what you can do. I believe that very much. Some people feel like marriage is restricting and it is limiting, but look, it's an expansion of what you can do so much. 
Think about the parable of the talents, Matthew 24. not going to read the whole thing. But the beginning of it, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants. He delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability. And straightway he took his journey. You know what God does as he surveys the world around him? Like this, like this master here, this businessman, as he looks at all of his employees or his servants, and he goes, I know what you can do. I'm going to look at the talents that you have, and I'm going to figure out what you bring to the table, and I'm going to put something on your plate that you can handle. And we understand what happened in the story. There was a couple folks that went out there, and they said, you know what, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll take care of it. And they went and they took care of business. They multiplied the investment that the master left to them to to handle. But there was that one fellow who got all scared and worried. He's just going to mess things up. And he went and he buried that in the ground. We at least know he was scared. I don't know all the other reasons, but I've got to ask the question. I mean, for us inside of a marriage, is there some type of talent that we have and could be utilizing in the kingdom that we're not? The picture is very scary when we look at this story to just these individuals whenever they either use or are scary in the sense when they don't use it, but when they use it, it's a beautiful picture. Whenever he comes back and goes, you did a good job. I knew you could do this. I knew what you could handle, and I mean... I appreciate it. Can you imagine the God who could create intelligent life in this earth and the earth itself coming and say, you did a good job with the things that he's left for us to do? It just seems so small in comparison. That's what he'll come back and he'll do, but it's so scary to think about him coming back and looking at me as the leader of my home and going, you know what? I gave you a precious ruby, Lee. I gave you a talented woman. And you hold up in your own life and you didn't do anything with it. You squandered my investment. That's a scary thought for me as a husband. Because that's what your partner is in this life. They're a gift from God that you could go out and serve Him with all of your talent, time, and abilities. And it is an ugly thing whenever we don't labor inside of our marriages to dedicate our house to the Lord and let Him build who we're going to be. Think about a couple of this. Sometimes there's glaring examples of this in the Scripture, and I like contrasting those glaring examples in some ways. I, I want one that you're very familiar with this morning. Ananias and Sapphira. You remember the story? We're not going to read all of it this morning, but look at the beginning of it. Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 1. You'll remember some of the, the context here was that you had Jews out of every nation for a time in one place. They were away from home, and they needed lodging, and they needed places to stay so they could keep low, learning and growing and continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, right? And so what did Christians do? They did what Christians do at other times whenever there's a need for Christians. They sold even the things that they had so they could take care of the needs of others. They were just living off one another, right? Some people were selling all that they had, throwing it into the pot, and they were taking care of one another. Well, Ananias and Sapphira, like the good Christians they are, they were going to get in on this, right? So here you have this. A certain man named Ananias, Sapphira's wife, they sold a possession. Congratulations, and God bless you. You know, there's a lot of people who sacrifice much for the kingdom. I don't know what this possession was. I don't know if it was a small trinket worth $5 or if it was a major parcel of land worth a million. I don't know what it was. They sold a possession. And on the outside to you and me, you know all we're going to see in a moment like that? We're going to see somebody being a blessing to God's kingdom. I want you to, there's a part of what you give 
that people are only going to see a piece of it. And they don't know what you're doing in your heart. Isn't that what happened in this situation? Where they kept a part of this back, right? They sold the possession. They kept a part of this back. That wasn't necessarily a big deal. But his wife also being privy to it, they brought a certain part. They laid it at the apostles' feet. And Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart with a lie? Heart to lie to the Holy Ghost. And he kept part back price. Bleh. To keep back part of the price of the land. I don't know why that was so difficult to say, but it wasn't working. There was a lot of peas there for me. And there was only two of them, so I don't know. But, you know, at the end of the day, what we need to remember, their ultimate crime that they were punished for was a lie. But it wasn't a lie that was obvious and glaring to everyone else. You know, you don't always know when somebody's lying. Oh, now we're talking about the other day with kids. I mean, sometimes kids lie. Kids are kids. They do it. Our kids do it. And it's scary to think they can get away with those lies. Why? Because we're human. We don't know the hearts and minds of, of another man or woman. But God does. He knew the lie. He saw the lie. He called the lie out. And these people, people paid dearly for that lie. But I want you to think back to the root of this. Why? Why did they end up lying about this? What was going on in this situation? Well, they wanted the appearances of being good and righteous people, right? At the very least. Did they have to, did they have to give every aspect of what they sold of that possession to God? I don't, I don't guess they did. I don't guess that's what was required of them but they were required to be truthful about it. But the truth is they held something back. And I guess we won't ever know all the reasons why, all the specific reasons. But I got some conjecture on it. I don't love conjecturing very often, but I'm sure you've thought some of the same things. Why'd they keep it back? Was it selfishness? Was it they just were so caught up with worldly possessions that they just couldn't bear to not get a little something-something out of this deal? And so even though they kind of wanted to do something for someone else, the desire to do something for themselves was much greater. I think that happens inside of a marriage sometimes. We want to do good for other people. We intend to do good for others. We intend to invest ourselves in the kingdom. But our desire to do for ourselves is much greater. And therefore, we utilize our time for ourselves, our talents for ourselves. We hold back. It's not very pretty when we hold back. I don't know, maybe they just had a lack of vision of what was going on there. Maybe they just didn't see the bigger picture. The big picture there was you had people who were trying to, th this kingdom was very new. This new covenant had just been ratified by the blood of the Savior. And people are learning about it for the first time. And they're trying to learn the ins and outs of it so that they can spread this to all the generations after. Just like the promise was made to Abraham that the whole world would be blessed by Christ, right? And they, maybe they just didn't see the big picture. And because of a lack of vision, they were short-sighted and they didn't go, we could do more for the kingdom because this is going to impact not just these people right here and now, but maybe it has an impact on, on another country somewhere. Maybe it has an impact on somebody 2,000 years later. You think about it. Their ripple effects of the gospel are like that. A little bit here and a little bit there can have long-lasting good consequences of maybe somebody hearing the gospel. But maybe they just couldn't see that far. They just lacked vision. Maybe they, maybe they had a lack of faith in God's cause. I guess those two are pretty similar, but I want to go to heaven, you know? That's what a lot of us profess. I want to go to heaven. I want to go to heaven. But how many of us want to sacrifice ourselves to get there? 
A lot of us appreciate the cause of Christ and that it can save my soul, cause me to not feel guilty anymore, and give me a home in heaven. But how many of us are so dedicated to that cause that we're willing to receive that grace and receive that mercy and say, you know what, in turn, I'll give you everything back. How many are willing to lay themselves down for the cause? You look at that first generation of apostles and evangelists and other men and women that put their neck on the line for the cause of the gospel. They were all in. They held nothing back. Why? Because they believed in the gospel. They believed in the plan. They believed in the salvation of souls. Paul said, I do this. I do this because I know the terror of the Lord. I know how bad it's going to be for people who, who don't accept the gospel. Uh, we could go on and on guessing about what was their reasons. Why? Why did they do this? The question is not, not about why they held back for themselves. The question to you and I inside of our marriages, our homes today, is are you holding back something because you have talents, you have gifts, and you have abilities that maybe somebody else here doesn't have? You have connections with some other family in, in here or maybe out in this community that you can use. Maybe your sense of humor just allows you to, to have an opportunity to say something to somebody serious that they normally wouldn't have taken from somebody else. Or maybe your, your sober-minded nature really speaks to another sober-minded person. I don't know what it is you bring to the table. Fellas, maybe you got a great wife who's good at making people feel at home and take care of things. Maybe, maybe she's somebody who has the ability to, to open up new doors for you evangelistically or things like that. Maybe the way that you raise your child. I don't know. Think about all these different things, all these gifts that God gives us. They're doors of opportunity. And the question is, am I holding back? But I'll tell you, holding back is the root of a lot of problems in the kingdom. We talk all the time about the whole body and about how it's one body, many members. And whenever one body is affected, the whole body's affected. Whenever one member, said that twice, whenever one member's hurting, the whole body's hurting. And it's affected. What are you holding back with your marriage? What could you give? What did you give before, folks? that you haven't been giving lately. Your marriage needs to be a blessing to somebody. We need to be seeking the kingdom first. I want you to think about Abraham. Abraham and Sarah are probably the opposite story, in my opinion. A couple others we're going to look at. And instead of holding back inside of their marriage, they were willing to give everything up. I want to look at them for just a moment. Hebrews chapter 11, we're not going to go back to the Old Testament to read about it, but reading in Hebrews 11, as, as God reflected on their faith, he said this in verse 8, By faith Abraham, when he had been called to go into a, uh, go into a place that he should, after receive for inheritance, he obeyed, he went out, not knowing whether he went, by faith he sojourned to the land of promise, as in a strange country, done in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, and heirs of him of the same promise. For he looked for a city that had foundations, whose builder and whose maker is God, through faith. Also Sarah herself, she received strength to conceive seed, and she was delivered, uh, delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. I, I can't stand before you and, and tell you that it's easy to give everything. I, I can't stand before you and say, let me show you how to give everything because... Like Abraham and Sarah and like so many other humans, I'm just human. And it's hard to give everything. And these people, they weren't perfect in the way that they gave everything. You remember that they had struggles and problems and, and speed bumps as they went through their walk. But I want you to understand it's possible to give yourself wholly to God even with some of the mistakes and to get back on track. But it takes things like this that we see in the story. It takes faith. 
It takes a personal, committed couple's investment in God's word. You know, one of the biggest reasons we are not as effective in the kingdom as we should be, we're not on the same page. We're not on the same page. We talk about unequally yoked all the time in the sense of a believer with an unbeliever because that's the context, right? But you got people who go to church all the time together, sit there and hold hands during the prayers, but they're not on the same page in the faith. But I'll tell you, Abraham and Sarah, I think looking at their story and the way that God utilizes them and lifts them up as this couple of faith, they had great faith and they were united in that faith. Their faith caused them to do some pretty incredible things. It wasn't just their faith, but, but they had goals. And I think for us, it's going to start with faith and, and that we need to sit down and have goals as New Testament couples. And look at their goals. They had these goals. Uh, Abraham looked at, he said, he looked for a city whose foundation, whose builder and maker is of God. It wasn't just Canaan. He was living in Canaan. If it was all about Canaan, he was already there. But he said it's about more than that. He, remember, he got a, a little sneak peek at what was going to come. I know he was still looking through the glass darkly, and it was mysterious, but he got a sneak peek whenever he was told to offer up his son Abraham about part of that promise, about Christ coming, about God offering up his son. You think Abraham didn't know what was coming? He knew eternity was coming. And he said, that's where my sights are set. So whenever God tells me I should get up, I should do, I need to just do as he tells me, I'm going to do that. She, she was faithful, even though she had her a little hiccup whenever that messenger came and said, you're going to have a child. She said, you've got to be kidding me. In her heart, not out loud, right? Because that's how we do a lot of things. That she remained faithful when God said, yeah, really. Trusted that promise, a couple of hiccups on the way, but she kept moving towards that goal, they said, because she judged God faithful because he'd made promises. How often do you sit with your spouse and talk about the promises that God has made to you? Reflect on the gravity of those promises, how big they are compared to anything else in this life. And do you sit there and make goals going, this is where we want to be? I think those could be big goals, they could be smaller goals, they could be in-between goals. We want to be this and this with our marriage at this point. Maybe it's something that has to do with leadership, or you look at your congregation, and you say, this is what the church needs someday. And I don't know if this is what we'll be. I may never be an elder, or we may never be, fill this office of a shepherd, or we may never be deacons, but you know what the church needs? It needs laborers and workers. We want to be someone that they can count on, set some goals. Because if you don't set goals, you're never going to make it through. You're wandering through this life. You're just going to wander around. And you're going to make a lot of memories. And maybe you share a lot of love and a lot of laughs. But at the end, there's something bigger waiting. And we'll never get there if we don't make goals. I think because of the great faith that they had as a couple, because of the goals that they had in mind together, they were able to act on those things and they had focus even through the trials and even through their own personal failures and flaws and difficulties, even through the times whenever they got a little bit worried that maybe God didn't know what he's doing, so maybe we need to take matters in our hands. They would get back on track. Maybe at times they got a little bit worried for their fleshly self and wanting to preserve some things for themselves and might have told a lie. They got back on track. Why the goals? They stayed focused, and then there was follow-through. It's easy to make plans. 
but it's hard to sojourn in the land. That's what they did, right? I don't know. I look at this story sometimes, and it's real easy for me to go, yeah, God told them to go to Canaan. They got there, and they were living in a tent. But to be honest, I, I haven't probably spent more than about six or seven days in a tent myself. I don't fancy living in a tent. I'm pretty fond of air conditioning. I'm pretty fond of the fireplace and every other heat source I could get here a couple weeks ago whenever our power was out. I'm pretty fond of that nice, comfortable memory foam mattress I got, and I, I, I like it. I've moved around a lot in my life. You know what? I, I Really, I have not lived more than about five or six years in one place in my entire life. I'm about getting ready to settle down somewhere. I don't know if that's what's in the cards, but man, putting down some roots sure is nice. And they said, you know what? We'll give it up. And no matter how many years they spent wandering around that land from place to place, moving cows, moving sheep, pulling up pickets, finding water, digging wells, tearing down the tent, setting up the tent, procuring food sources, they just kept going. Why? Because they had faith that because God made promises, it would be worth it. And so they didn't hold anything back, folks. Not for themselves. They gave everything knowing it was going to be worth it later on. God's going to give back to you someday if you'll give everything to Him now. You may be sacrificing your time, your attention, your money, your family, even some of your own personal memories to people who may not have even obeyed the gospel yet. People who may never obey the gospel. People who may use you and abuse you and feel like a waste of your time, but they're not, and it is not a waste of your time. Because the promises are worth it. We need faith, we need goals, and we need follow-through, and only you can do that with your spouse. Sit down and talk. Sit down and make a plan. Don't just talk about it for year after year. Don't just set those goals like New Year's resolutions and go, oh, another year went by, I failed at that one. I'll set the same one again or I'll pick another one. Let's do it. Let's get to work. Make the kingdom first in your life. You're very familiar with this passage. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. You know what he's talking about when he says all these things will be added unto you? Basic necessities. Folks, we live in a world where basic necessities, it's just, it's just not common. Not common, and I say not common, not in the sense of that not many of us have basic necessities. I'm saying it's, it's not common for any of us to live a normal, average life and just have necessities. We got a lot. We got a whole lot. And I'll be honest, it don't take a whole lot to get a whole lot. Not a whole lot of effort anymore, not a whole lot of work in some ways. That doesn't, I'm not trying to take away from anyone working hard. I think we should work hard, that's biblical. But folks, it's pretty easy to profit in the place that we live in in this world. But he said, if you'll just focus on the kingdom first, I'm going to take care of you. Do you really trust that? Because if we do, we'll give ourselves wholly to him. I don't know, sometimes I look at people like Abraham and Sarah and and I'll, I'll start convincing on myself that, okay, it was a much bigger deal that they moved around from place to place in a tent. It wasn't a small thing. It was a big sacrifice. It was something that they consciously, consciously did. And then I'll walk my way all the way across the spectrum from one side where I didn't think enough about it. 
And you don't want to hold it up here enough to the other side where I go, well, that's just unattainable. He's pretty special. Look at, look at, how, look at how central Abraham is to the Bible, right? I mean, we're talking about three promises made to him that God worked for thousands of years to make sure that they came true. His name is all through the Bible. His imprint is all over it, even in that New Testament, over and over and over. And I think, but I'm no Abraham. I'm not going to say my wife is no Sarah, because I think she is, just to be honest with you. But I look at Abraham and I go, I'm no Abraham. He's, he's larger than life. He's bigger than me. I'm just, I'm just normal people. Okay. Let's look at some normal people in the New Testament. One family in particular. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 9, I want you to notice about this couple. They're normal people. After these things, Paul departed out from Athens. He came to Corinth and he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come to Italy with his wife Priscilla because that Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. He came to them because he was of the same craft. He abode with them and he wrought for by their occupation they were tent makers. I don't see a whole lot of special things about these people. In fact, I see a normal couple with normal jobs and normal responsibilities. Think they're any different than that when he found them? These folks were like a lot of other immigrants of the time. They were forced out because of persecutions where they've been living. Their life's unsettled, and here they come to put down more roots. These are normal folks. Just looking at it at face value. But when you start looking at the six verses... The six verses, that's all they got. That they're mentioned in the scriptures, you find they're never mentioned alone. You don't have Aquila mentioned without Priscilla. You don't have Priscilla mentioned without Aquila. And the things that they do, that's, it's no slouch. Even though they were normal people, normal jobs, normal responsibilities, I'll tell you, they had a major heart for the kingdom. And whenever you have a major heart for the kingdom, I think it shows you that your house is built by God because you are doing what He designed your marriage to do. And that's to be a blessing not just to yourself, but to others and to Him and to His people and everybody who are far off. These people were a blessing to you. So I want to know, I want to know as a normal husband, a normal, a normal wife, a normal couple in the kingdom, Normal people, normal jobs, normal responsibilities. What do I got to do to be more like them, to give more of myself? I look at this couple, and I believe that their house was built by God because they had their heart set as a couple on hospitality. That's the first thing that we learn about them there, right? Even though they had just been run out of their own home place themselves, Paul comes in with a bunch of these immigrants, and he finds people who aren't even members of the church yet, as I read it. And he lives with them. They bring him in. They had a shared profession, so they had a shared circle in life, right? I guess all the tent makers may have been in the same area making tents. Maybe that made it easier for getting resources and supplies, and I don't know what else. Maybe selling them. Who knows? But these people were willing to go, I know we just left our home recently, but, you know, come share our home with us. Not a big deal, right? 1 Corinthians 16 and 19 as he is saluting people from Asia, he said, The churches of Asia salute you. Aquila and Priscilla salute you much in the Lord with the church that is in their house. Now, there's a little bit of debate that goes on about what that term means there, the church is in our house. And sometimes people tend to look at that and go, Well, they didn't have church buildings back there, and so people open their homes and they have assemblies. And that's very true. That's one of the things that happens is that they didn't have nice buildings like what we have today. They'd meet in the homes. 
And they would pray their prayers and sing their songs and drink the fruit of the vine and, and discern the Lord's death and, and preach sermons just, just like we do today. But they did it out of the home. And these people said, we'll do that in our home. Could you do that? Would you do that? Fumigation going on here. <laughs> is, the home, is your home open for that? Or are you just going to be worried about how dirty and messy it is? Or are you going to be able to say, my home is your home. That's my sacrifice to you. Uh, Hospitality is not a small thing. And I know I'm not going to spend all day on it. You know, you had a pretty good lesson on here a while back that I heard. I heard teachings about that Shunammite woman. She looked over at her husband. She said, honey, you don't got enough to do. Why don't you go build another room just for somebody else, not even for us? You think about the sacrifice that they made, that people make at this time. Paul said that they were risking their necks for his sake, just to put them up at times. Think about the sacrifice it is for you in your life. You know what you're going to sacrifice whenever you make it a point to set your heart on hospitality? You're going to sacrifice some me time, some couple time. Because you're probably going to do that on the nights or days that are most convenient to everybody else, which is also the days that maybe are your only days alone. Because you're working, and because you're taking care of the kids, and because you're fixing everything that's broken around the house on that spare time. But instead of giving to just you, you're deciding to share your time with somebody else. It's not a small thing. You know what you're going to have to sacrifice whenever you set your heart on hospitality? Some money. You've gone, you've got, I mean, everybody's eating in here. You know what it costs to get groceries these days. Somebody, I haven't bought eggs in a long time. We've got a handful of chickens because we're just redneck like that. And, and if you have chickens and you took offense to that comment, I'm sorry. We got chickens. It's just, it goes with the territory, the redneckness, you know. Haven't paid for an egg in a while, thankfully. But I've heard some crazy stories about eggs. 11 bucks. I don't know what they are here. But I heard 11 bucks out west. Gasoline, it's pricey. But eggs are expensive. Beef's expensive. It isn't cheap to feed somebody. So you have to make a decision. I'm going to set my heart on taking my heart on money, and it's not going to go into my new thing or my new toy or my new possession, maybe not even to my kids' new pair of shoes. But it's going to go into taking care of somebody else. Your heart has to be set on it to continually do it. You have to be willing to sacrifice for others. You're sacrificing convenience. You're sacrificing time. You're sacrificing privacy. Talked about sacrificing the time, but that's really what you sacrifice too is that privacy. When there's people in your home, life is a little bit different. That doesn't mean we should pretend to be other people. I'm not advocating that. Be who you are every day when you wake up. Be the same person if, if it's good. I mean, if we need to change, change. So I got off in the weeds there, but you understand what I mean. But that privacy is special for a couple. Give up a little bit of it. Think about how much privacy they gave up. You think they were living in sealed houses? These people were immigrants. They're sharing small, confined spaces. I know time is different, society is different, but they sacrificed a lot. I've, I mentioned this in another lesson here a little while back. I don't know if it was here or somewhere else, but... One of the things that people did for me as I was growing up and do for me and my wife all the time now is we go from place to place as they open up their homes. And we invade their privacy and our, our kids run around and, you know, or, or kids and things like that. And I eat all their food and, 
take up all the conversation and things like that. And you know what? People keep opening up their homes. I didn't think about that much when I was a kid. As a kid, I took up a lot of time on, on a couple people's couches. One family in particular that put me up for summers at a time just about. Wore out a couch. So worn out they bought a new one when I left and gave that old one to me. But I didn't think about the toll it must have took on a married couple, young married couple, to have some teenager just crashing in their house every day. Lose a lot of freedom. But you know, people whose house is built on the Lord, they have their heart set on hospitality. Nothing's going to stop it. What, what's holding you back from being more hospitable? Make some goals. I know that these people's house was built upon the Lord because they had their heart set together on being helpers in Christ. Sometimes it is easy to just live your life and let everybody else do the work. Now, it doesn't, it's not a pleasant thought to think that I'm the person letting everybody else do something. But I want you to think about your marriage. And one of the sad things that I see with a lot of young couples nowadays that, that is perplexing to me. I talk to a lot of couples. Let me start over on that. I talk to a lot of couples who are who have a lot of experience in the kingdom, a lot of experience in marriage, and, or others who have started out, and I, I say, what was it like getting married? And you got married, and now you're a member of the church. Tell me about that. You know, I hear ladies talk about, she's like, oh, you know, I could, it wasn't my mama bringing food to the potluck anymore. We were married. We brought food to the potluck. You know what I see loud nowadays a lot of times? Grown people, with their own kids, and their mama still bringing their food to potluck. we got to grow up. You know what you are? You're members of the church. You're grown members of the church. Is that the biggest deal in the world? No, I don't want to make a mountain out of a molehill, but what do you want to be when you're married? You know, that's a good place for us to start talking when we're talking about marriage, Right? What are we going to do in the kingdom? Not just about where are we going to live and what's our apartment going to look like and what's our dream house going to look like 15, 20 years down the line and what's our dream careers and what's our dream vacations and, and you know, how are we going to dress in our Thanksgiving video or Thanksgiving pictures and stuff like that. But, but talk about what are we going to be for the church here? What can we bring to the table? Who are we going to be? If I'm old enough to get married and experience that benefit, I'm old enough to be a blessing to the kingdom of God. And you need to be there to support the work that's going on. There's a lot of people expending a lot for you, and it's time for you to expend a lot for them. As an older couple in the kingdom, don't get tired of doing that. Maybe, you, maybe you've done that, and you've done that, and done that, and maybe you feel like, well, I've done my time. No, you're not done yet. Keep doing it. Keep making the meals. Keep spending your time. Keep being the Titus II person. There's a lot of people working in the kingdom, and my point in all of this is to go, don't make them work alone. The whole reason that we have all the parts of our physical body is so that one part of the body doesn't have to carry more than its share of the load. And that's why he compares it to a body in the kingdom. Who's carrying your share of the load? No, these people whose house was built upon the Lord, they facilitated the work of others in the kingdom. They looked around at what other people were doing, experienced people in the kingdom. They said, I'll be a part of that. Is there something I can do as a couple? Maybe you don't know what you can do. And you go, I don't, I don't know what to do, or maybe I need some help or some training. Go look and go find the people who are doing something and saying, is there something that me and my spouse can do to help you with this? 
We appreciate the work that you're doing. Can we help in some way? Figure out if you can join in on a work, you know? Don't let people feel lonely in this work. Whenever Paul wrote back to him, he made mention, look, you helped me. That's not a small thing. I think about sometimes I'll bring my kids with me to town, especially when they're littler. I mean, even now, you know, I'll come and people are like, oh, you got your big helpers with you? And, you know, things like that. And we make a big deal. Yeah, our big helpers, you know. Sometimes it's easier getting work done without our big helpers. But the truth is our big helpers need training so they can do it. So maybe you need a helper in the work. Maybe you don't feel like you need a helper because you could just do it a lot easier without somebody in your way, without us and experienced younger couples. Reach out. Find one of these young couples who hasn't found their place in the kingdom yet, who's still finding their way, finding their identity in their congregation, and help them. Help them to let the church or let the Lord build their house by saying, help me in my work. I believe that this, this marriage of this couple was a house built by the Lord because they had a heart together set on evangelism. Uh, I told you all ago a little bit about my moving around all the time, and sometimes I have desires to be a little bit more stationary. But you think about what's going on with these folks before they took off on this. Acts chapter 18, verse 18 through 19. Paul, uh, after this, after his stay in Corinth, he tarried there a good while. And then he took his leave of the brethren. He sailed thence into Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. He'd shorn his head in Centuria for he to vow, and he came to Ephesus. He left them there, uh, but he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. These people decided to go on an evangelistic mission, and I think that they spent a lot of their time doing that from what we read in the Scriptures. But I got to thinking about why would they be willing to do that after everything they'd gone through. First of all, like we've mentioned, they'd been run out of their home. I don't know how long they'd been in that place, but your home's your home. And to move away because you choose is one thing, but to be run out of Dodge is another. That's hard. That's hard on you emotionally. That takes a toll on you physically as well. But here they've done that, and now they're just putting down new roots there in Corinth. But then they hear this message of the gospel, right? They hear the message of the gospel and they, because they brought this other tent maker in the house and he brought a surprise message with them. And it starts changing their lives. But then they, they watch this man preaching the gospel there at Corinth. And you remember what happened to Paul at Corinth at that time? You had people trying to take him to law. Everybody's angry at him and, and trying to run him out of Dodge, get him thrown to jail, all these things. And they watch all the hardship that he goes through for trying to preach the gospel. We moved. It's been a hardship. We're in a new place. It's a hardship. We obeyed the gospel, and then people are taking heat for obeying the gospel, and yet they go, you know what, I'm going to go with you. <laughs> We're going to pull up stakes again. You know this thing that you're doing that's causing so much trouble for you in your life, causing heartache, pain? We want to do that too. You know why? Because their heart is set on the cause of God. How about yours in your home? How can you and your family reach out to the community around you? They didn't just reach out to their neighbors next door, their mommy and me friends. These people said, we'll travel. Have gospel, we'll travel. They looked at go ye therefore and they went. What are you willing to sacrifice in your marriage for the gospel? You know, open up a little piece of my home to you. 
my wife, my wife didn't sign on to marry an evangelist. That was something we'd talked about when we made all of our plans, you know, and Lee said, no, I'm not going to do that. But then I said, I want to do that. And you know what? My wife signed on. And I'm not blowing, tooting her horn here or anything like that. I'm just, I'm telling you as a man how much I appreciate that. Because you know what she sacrifices? She sacrifices me. Because there are times I take off and I leave her for several weeks at a time. And I'm not the first man who's ever done that. There's a lot of men before me and a lot of men with me that still do that. Sometimes the sacrifice she, she makes and these other women make because their heart is set on evangelism is the sacrifice of their husbands, of their closest partner and companion in life. You know why? Because their love for the gospel outweighs the heartache of being alone sometimes. That doesn't mean it's not a challenge for her, for me, for others who do that. It is. But you're willing to make great sacrifices, even of the things that you love the most, because you love something more, and that's the gospel. What are you sacrificing so that one more person can hear the gospel? Will you sacrifice a little bit of time with your wife? Will you sacrifice a little time with your husband? Maybe it's together. You know, it doesn't have to be alone. One of the things I love about this couple here, you don't read about them alone. But they were invested together, evangelizing, right? You didn't have to go alone, honey. I'm going with you. And so there they went together. I don't know if it was dirty hotels and bad food, but she went. He went. They went together. You think they didn't go teach the gospel? They did. That's the reason they went. They could have had roots again. They could have had their own stable life again. They said, we'll go. We'll do what we need to do for the gospel. What can you sacrifice for evangelism in your marriage? Is it money? Is it some type of time? Is it some association or some type of influence? Can you sacrifice some type of prestige in your community because your desire to evangelize is greater than your desire to make nice with everyone around you? Do it as a couple. Do it as a family. You know what that takes? Planning. Talk. Goals and follow through. Takes a trust. And to be honest with you, sometimes I struggle. What's your identity as a couple? I believe the identity of this couple is one whose house was built by God because they had a heart set on teaching others. I don't think Priscilla and Aquila woke up one day and were suddenly. Granted miraculous abilities to be able to train people as mature Christians in the church. You know, young folks, that's not going to happen for you. It's not going to happen for me. You're not going to live your life and raise your kids without purpose in the kingdom and suddenly one day be the older generation at the church and to be able to step into the lives and say, let me show you how it's done. They don't happen by chance. You know why not every man is an elder? There's lots of reasons. There's lots of great men who aren't elders. There's lots of great men who aren't deacons. Lots of good people in the church. But there's some people who never be able to fill that role because they didn't carry their marriage in their home the way they should have while they had time. And I got to think with these type of people here, that their life was together so that very quickly, so it would seem after they obey the gospel, because they were God-fearing and hardworking people, 
In the, words, in, the, in the words of the Lord, they were very quickly able to go to somebody who was mighty in the Scriptures. You think about that, Acts 18, 24 through 28. This couple, not well known, not somebody who may have been, they didn't, the Bible doesn't say they were mighty and eloquent, but it says about Apollos and Alexandra, he was an eloquent man, mighty in the Scriptures. He came to Ephesus, instruct, and, and this was a man instructed the way of the Lord, being fervent in the Spirit. He spoke and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, who when Aquila and Priscilla heard, they took him unto them, they expounded, more, expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. And when he was disposed to pass to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who when he was come, helped them much, which he believed through grace, for he mightily convinced the Jews, publicly showing them by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. They privately will, were willing to insert themselves into other people's lives. I think that takes a lot of courage. And I think that courage only comes from walking through the fire yourself, living a purposeful life, and knowing how important it is for others to be able to get it right. They had a heart set on teaching. And they were willing to stick their necks out there on a limb, walk out on a limb, to be able to help somebody get it right. And you think about the impact that this made. What they did privately, it said he mightily convinced the Jews publicly. It had a profound effect, a profound ripple in this gospel, in this kingdom. Why? Because they were a home that was built by God, built by the Lord. And I think that's a question that we need to wake up each and every day and we need to look at our spouse, talk to our future spouse and say, who are we going to be? Who are we going to be today for the kingdom? Who does the Lord need us to be today? Who will He need us to be five years from now? Who does He want us to be whenever we're older? If you build your house with the Lord's help, it won't be a worthless endeavor. It won't all simply be these sacrifices that hurt. There's a lot of things to gain. There's a lot of benefits and there's a lot of blessings. And if in some way this morning you want to, you need to reset the goals to rebuild your faith, to refocus on your mission, we want to help you with that. Just let us know. Come forward while we stand and sing this song.